Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, coming to you from Omaha, Nebraska. It's a little bit after midnight, and I haven't eaten yet, so I'm trying to get this thing done before my pizza gets here. That's right. They, they deliver pizza really late here. I'm actually pretty excited about it because I'm really hungry. But, man, how good does it feel to win? It is indescribable. And there may be a little background noise, the air condition's going on, so you have to, have to deal with it. There are bigger problems in life. But, uh, man, it just simply feels so good to win. And it's one of those things, too, I expected us to win, to be honest with you. But it was not the game that I expected. It was not the conditions we expected. You know, all we've heard about for the better part of uh, two months is, yeah, the wind normally blows in with the winds blown out. Had a bunch of balls flying out of the yard uh, on Saturday. And we get there on uh, Sunday, and it's our turn to play, and it's 20-mile-per-hour winds out to center, and there's one home run hit. As a matter of fact, against Will Bednar, Texas hit three balls out of the infield. That's it. I don't know if perhaps Will was just dealing to the level they couldn't deal with him, or perhaps they were trying to do too much, and it was kind of a combination of both. But the bottom line is Texas bats absolutely shut down. I go back to something we talked about last week, the whole situation with Texas Mississippi State's offense, you know, they're very similar, but State's a little bit better. And that's exactly what showed up tonight. We're going to break the game down. We're going to look ahead to Virginia. I think Mississippi State has an absolute best-case scenario here. You've kind of got the Cinderella darling, Virginia, that uh, finished 500 in their conference and then uh, you know, found their way and kind of upset some people. And now here they are. They were a preseason top 20 team, so it wasn't like they just completely came out of nowhere. But this is a team that finished 500 in their league this year. Weren't expected to be here in Omaha, but yet here they are. And then they go out there and they beat Tennessee, and that's that's probably the surprise of the tournament is how they absolutely dominated Tennessee. And one of the things you and I have talked about is that this ballpark was going to swallow up a Tennessee offense. Well, that's what happened on Sunday. It'll be interesting to see what happens Tuesday between Texas and Tennessee. A really good team is going home. I can tell you that. And, uh, you know, offensively, Tennessee has been uh, not what many people expected them to be out here. Again, I'm not surprised that they have trouble scoring because when you are so dependent on the long ball and that is taken away from you, you got to start stringing things together. you got to get two, possibly three hits in an inning to get a run across. It just hasn't happened for them. And, and give Virginia a lot of credit for as well as they've pitched it. But it's been an interesting couple days. You know, you go back to, uh, you know, I guess game one. That's the thing, you know, that NC State game, I think we just keep waiting for that to fall apart. What hadn't happened? They absolutely dominated Stanford. And, of course, Stanford puts up a three-spot late to make it look a little bit closer than it really was. But I, I really thought NC State pitched it well. In the nightcap on Saturday, Vanderbilt comes from behind. Kumar Rocker, not good. Not, now, he did settle down to give him credit. They got to him early on. Uh, Kumar Rocker allowed five runs on the night. His season high is six. That's happened twice against Alabama and Georgia. His slider just didn't have the, the same bite to it that you normally expect, and they just were laying off of it. And that's where I thought they really, 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 really made him pay is they weren't able to, to get – Rucker wasn't able to get those guys to swing and miss the slider, and so he couldn't keep them off the fastball, and they absolutely capitalized. But to Vanderbilt's credit – they stayed in the game, stayed in the game, stayed in the game. The Vats finally came around. They win it in the 12th. And, and listen, Vanderbilt is not built for the loser's bracket. It's one of those things you think about. It's going to be difficult to be lighter in this park 
But if, if Vanderbilt loses that game Monday, which is later today, and we'll talk about those matchups uh, later in the show, I think Vanderbilt's done. I really do. I just don't think they have the pitching to come back to, through the, the loser's bracket, and offensively they're somewhat challenged. And people say, well, Steve, they had the best batting average in the SEC, and that's true, but they, they also have a di- difficult time kind of putting together the big inning. Stay away from Carter Young. I can tell you that. That's a guy that got it. he got us on that Sunday game out there in Nashville, and he got he got those guys, uh, you know, Saturday night. He had an absolute tank to give Vanderbilt the lead, and it just they're so good at the top of the order. I mean, they just Enrique Bradfield. I mean, if you put him on base, it's basically a double. And Carter Young is not a big swing and miss guy. He's going to put the ball in play more times than not. And so it's a very dangerous combination. It's a first to third situation, just kind of like right out of the dugout. If you let those guys get on and get rolling, it's an issue. And listen, I I don't care who we play, but I would really prefer not to play Vanderbilt. I I think they're built for a super regional best two out of three type situation. And, you know, a lot of kids been learned, you know, about their pitching staff and offensively they're somewhat limited, as I mentioned. But – you know, I really would prefer to play somebody else. I don't know if it's just a mental hurdle or whatever. Perhaps we feel like, you know what, we owe them one because, um, you know, we, we blew that Sunday game. But, you know, listen, what's the chances of you beating Leiter twice in the same year? I mean, the guy had gone, what, two years without losing a college game and then State finally beats him. So we'll see how things go and how we match up. But uh, we've got a lot of baseball to play between now and then, to say the least. Really got a cool top ten list today, too. Uh, very diverse list here. I tried to go with more uh, – and rock and roll stuff too, but uh, I'm excited about the list. You guys will know exactly what I'm talking about when I start to describe it. But uh, you know, it's been a good couple days, and uh, so Mississippi State has the day off on Monday. There will be a couple of games played, and I'll, I'll go over to the ballpark and we'll spend some time there and probably do some shopping and get out and enjoy Omaha a little bit. I'll be back to work on Tuesday as Bulldogs get ready to go, try to stay in the winners bracket. Very very exciting stuff. Bulldog Burger Company, speaking of exciting, doing a great job, man. I get, I still get so many people messaging me, hey, Steve, I went to the new location there in Ridgewood, and yes, I had the spring rolls, and yes, I am better looking. And it's science. I mean, it just is. It makes you and everybody around you better looking. You need to go. We all need more of that. I eat spring rolls regularly. That's how I stay so beautiful. Uh, so when you're in town, go check it out. Ridgewood, they're on Lake Harbor Drive. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then University Drive here in Stark Vegas. Find your own favorite. So many new items to choose from. You got the grilled chicken club, which is it's my current favorite. I absolutely love it, uh, and I love those salads too. The salads are so substantial. It's just one of those things you look at and you you want you think, man, this is a salad. After doing something good for myself, you'll be smart with the dressing. But yeah, I mean some very very healthy and fresh salads there. So maybe if you're not in the mood for a burger, you can still get a very substantial portion of other items. The sweet heat chicken sandwich, all that good stuff. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, so no further ado, let's go ahead and get to it. <clears throat> I apologize if there's a little blip there in your uh, in your listening quality there. I do apologize for that, but <clears throat> just hang in here with me. So let's go ahead and get, break down the game here. An incredible night of baseball. And listen, here's the thing that I'll say. If you are a casual fan of baseball, you might have found the game to be boring. If you are a true baseball fan, somebody that really loves the game, you were hanging on every pitch because every pitch was important. And, man, what a great performance by Will Bednar and Ty Madden tonight. Just absolutely incredible. 
a classic game, a record-setting game for Mississippi State. And also, too, if you're unaware of this, Mississippi State now tied with Ole Miss for most strikeouts in a season, NCAA record. And who knew both of those would come this year? State, of course, leads in strikes per, strikeouts per nine innings because State's played less games than Ole Miss. But um, great job pitching by both teams this year. But State now ties the record with at least two games left to play. So feel pretty confident we'll pick up one and it'll be an NCAA record. There were so many people that had questions about Mississippi State pitching at the beginning of the year. They have answered those in spades. So let's jump into this thing. Not a lot of highlights to talk about, at least offensively, but Mississippi State, I thought, really, really, really gutted this thing out. Meant everything. So as the visitor, we are the the first team to hit, obviously. Rowdy Jordan grounds out to first base, and then T.A. grounds out to second. Cam James strikes out swinging. Just not a lot to work with there early on. Ty was doing a good job working inside, forcing us to hit the ball to the right side. Like all of you, I wasn't overly concerned. I was hoping we'd get off to a good start. We didn't, but Will Bednar comes out and really gets a great thing going here. You get a pop-up to the third baseman. And then a K-swing into Daly and a K-swing into Zubia. So it's a 1-2-3 inning for Will there. But he did get deep into some counts, the final two full counts. So obviously, you know, running the pitch count up early, which would be significant later. Top of second, Stake, you know, gets in there and tries to get some things going. We roll another one over to first. Great job by the pitcher to get over. Then Logan Tanner strikes out swinging on a ball down in the zone. Gets ahead 2-0 in the count. And then K's, three consecutive pitches there. DeBrule then gets on base on a throwing error. You know, they, it was an E6. I don't know that he would have beat it out. But uh, great effort getting down the line, kind of forcing it. And then Cumbus flies out to right field. The thing that I said then, at least we're putting the ball in play. They weren't. Uh, bottom of second, it's a 1-2-3 inning again. You get the heart of the order, Melendez, Williams, and Hodo there, 4-5-6. and six. Again, deep in the count to Hodo, gets a full count. Top of third, State K swing, and Kellum Clark had a tough night at the plate. Forsyth and strikes out swing, and Rowdy Jordan, a little bloop single to right center. Or maybe not that wasn't the bloop center. He got two hits on the night. That was just a solid base hit, and T.A. flies out to left. And uh, nothing going there. But again, we're making some contact. Bottom of third, Faltini swinging, Ordoan swinging, Kennedy is hit by the pitch, and ahead in the count there, just a little bit too amped up. And we come back and get Antico swinging. That ended a, a streak of a seven straight, retired by Will Bednar. Top of four, we manufacture a run here, and it's Cam James kind of being the rally starter here. And what a good postseason Cam is having. And listen, if we're going to win an AFL championship, we need him to be a contributor in that three-hole. So then Hancock singles to right center. Cam takes third. That's a plus runner right there, Cam James. Tanner strikes out swinging on a ball down. And then Scotty DeBrule with the sack fly out to Antico. Uh, drives the run, and it's a one nothing ball game. And it, that really felt significant to get out early. Then... Uh, it's one of those crazy things that happened. Cumbus just hits a ball. It looked like it was destined for the seats out there in, in the right field in the foul area. The wind kind of pushes that thing back, and Hodo can't get there, and it's down for a triple. The run scores from first, and it made it 2 nothing. And, man, you're thinking, man, if Kellum Clark can get a base hit here, we go up 3 nothing. we might really be in great shape. 
It turns out we didn't need any more runs, but, man, that made it awfully interesting down the stretch. Told Robbie Falk then, I said, you know what we need more than anything here is a 1-2-3 inning. That didn't happen for us. We get behind an account to Daly. He singles back up the box. Get Zubia swinging. Melendez flies out to center, and off the bat, it felt like a home run. Somehow the park holds it. Rowdy gets it. Uh, really nice play by Rowdy. Tracked it really well. And then we get Cam Williams to strike out looking. And they complained about the call. There was nothing the least bit controversial about the call. It was clearly a strike. Top of five. We don't do anything. Forsyth strikes out looking. Rowdy Jordan flies out. T.A. fouls out to the third baseman in foul territory, obviously, just outside of third. But Bednar did his best to make it hold up. He gets Hodu swinging, gets Faltini swinging, and gets Ordewan looking. And it really felt like we were about to see something historic. Don't know how long Will Bednar was going to be able to go, but it was clear to say that he was on his game. Cam James again singles up the middle there, so you get a leadoff runner on again, and he's still seconds. Now all of a sudden we have a runner in scoring position with nobody out. Hancock then pops up to the shortstop. We decide to take third. I really thought this was a mistake, and I understand you know, you've got Logan Tanner, Scotty DeBrule coming up. I would like to have given those guys an opportunity to hit with the runner in scoring position, face a guy in the stretch. Cam is thrown out there. Again, I don't agree with the call there. I think you got to let him play it out. Uh, because of the fact I felt that we really kind of bailed Madden out a little bit in this inning, and then Logan Tanner strikes out swinging again uh, to end the inning. I would have liked to have had two opportunities to hit there, but uh, well, we didn't. I also admire the fact that we're trying to be aggressive and force the action there and put pressure on the defense. You know, that's the thing until you begin to think if he if he steals third there, you've got a chance. You got two chances to get him in from third. A wild pitch scores him a ground ball to right side. Didn't happen for us, but uh, just felt we maybe perhaps we were a little bit too aggressive in that situation on the base path. Uh, you know. <laughs> It's, we get to the bottom of six there, and uh, Will still dealing. Strikeout swinging to Kennedy. We get Antico again. Delhi flies out to right field. And that, that was a 3-0 count that we came back and worked it full, able to get him out there. That was that one that looked like it was destined for for no man's land, but T.A. runs it down there just inside the line. Top of seven to Brill Walk. So we have – and we got the leadoff runner on again – a chance to get an insurance run. Compass goes down swinging there, and then Clark goes down swinging, and it's the old, you know, strike him out, throw him out, and DeBrew was really out by, you know, considerable amount there. Again, I don't know quite what we're doing there, but I admire the fact that we're being aggressive, making them make plays, and they ate them. They made them. You know, they, they made them, kept themselves in the game. Really thought we had a couple of opportunities there to break the game open, and uh, base running just didn't go our way there. So we get into <laughs> we get into the seventh, and that's the thing that this is when things really started getting a little bit dicey for us. We get there in the seventh. Zubia walks, and then uh, we get an 0-1 count on Melendez, and Lamonas could not get out of the dugout fast enough. He's trying to call time there and get 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 Bednar out of the game, and he just throws a fastball by Melendez, and goodness gracious, I mean, if he gets a hold of that thing, we might be singing a different tune today. Could be a 2-2 ball game there in the seventh. But uh, we bring in Landon Sims, and yeah, a lot of people wondered, you know, do we go too early? Yeah, maybe so. But it worked out. He strikes out the side, get Melendez swinging, Williams swinging, and Hodu strikes out looking. Did not think that was uh, a pitch worthy of, of any groans from the Texas fans, but there were plenty of them to be had. 
we get into the eighth here. And, uh, you know, again, a chance for us to go do something. They bring in uh, Pete Hansen, left-handed guy that we actually had some success against there in Arlington. And the fact that they were throwing him shows to me they were all in. They understood the importance of winning game one. Forsyth gets a ground out. Rowdy going singles down the right field line. That's a little blue pit we mentioned earlier. T.A. grounds out the first, but George Rowdy gets the second. And then Cam James strikes out looking on a ball that was clearly a ball. Maybe too close to take, but it just felt like that was uh, that was a, a situation where the call went away from us. I really thought the strikes on the last three innings was an adventure. Landon Sims comes out, and we get a strikeout swinging, a strikeout swinging, a Faltini and Ordewan, and then Kennedy, for some reason, decides to bunt here and basically just lines it right to Cam James. Absolutely dominant performance at this point. We get into the ninth, and this is when things get a little bit hairy. And I was just thinking, man, if we could get a run here, life would be so much easier. We don't. I don't know if we just weren't ready to get this thing over with. But um, Hancock rolls out the first. Uh, T.A., excuse me, Logan Tanner strikes out swinging. Again, really rough nine at the plate for Logan Tanner. And then the Brewer grounds out the shortstop. Actually hit it pretty well. Nice play by Faltini. So we get into the bottom of the ninth bringing our defensive replacements, and then on a 1-0 count, Mike Antico hits an absolute tank in the right center. Their first run of the ball game makes it 2-1. You think, okay, we're good. We strike out daily. We get Zub get a ground out to short. Now we're one pitch away from this thing being over. And it ended up being, what, a 12 or 13 pitch at bat. And give Melendez some credit here. He was a very difficult out, and he has struggled down the stretch. But he got the better Lennon Sims here, and he rifles a single in the left field. They pinch run for him. And then Williams, who had struck out every time up on an 0-2 pitch, we just catch too much of the plate here. And they single back up the middle, and now you got runners at first and third. So the tying runs at third, the winning run is at first. And a lot of our fans thought, you know what, they're going to walk it off here or at the very least tie the ball game up, and we're going to extras. We didn't want that. We absolutely didn't. Landon Sims uh, throws a slider on a 2-0 count. You know the guy's looking fastball there. He throws a slider, and he has such a great spin rate on it. People just can't lay off of it when he throws it for a strike. It's a ground ball out there to Scotty. He picks it up, throws the first, ball game's over. Mississippi State advances to the winner's bracket, Texas to the loser's bracket. Now let's break down the numbers here, kind of look at the box score. Uh, Not a good offensive night, as you guys know. Five hits for State, two runs. Texas, four hits, one run, and three of those hits came in the ninth inning. Had one hit through eight innings. And, And it's very similar to what happened in Arlington. You know, State dominates the game. It's an 8-1 ball game, and they pick up a couple cheap runs there in the ninth. So Texas clearly is not going to quit on you uh, late in ball games. So give them credit for fighting to the end, but Mississippi State is simply better. We'll bet our 8-1 now in the year. Uh, that is an elite record. And some of those have been huge, huge games uh, against you know high-quality competition. Ty Madden now drops a 7-5, two of those losses against Mississippi State. Landon Sims picks up his 11th save. Uh, of the year. Rowdy Jordan, your best offensive player, two for four on the night. Cameron James, one for three. Luke Hancock, uh, one for four. Brad Cumbus, one for three there with the triple. A couple of RBIs to DeBrule and Cumbus. Uh, State's five and 30. Five for 30 on the night and gets a couple runs in. 12 Ks for us. On the other side of things, just four hits for Texas. Antico, of course, with the, the, the solo home run in the ninth there. Mitchell Daly uh, is the first Base runner of the night, I believe, or maybe the second one because he got the hit there. Ivan Melendez with the hit the night. Cam Williams also with the hit the night. So the only hit that didn't come in the night was the single from Mitchell Daly. 
So uh, absolutely stellar performance from Mississippi State pitching. Only used two pitchers as well. You know, Will Bednar walks off the mound with the horns down symbol. I uh, hope that it come back to haunt us. But um, listen, I like a guy that's confident. And you kind of felt early on, once he got through the first inning, that he really felt in command of his stuff. And uh, they just simply couldn't hit him. Bednar goes six innings complete, allows one hit, no runs, 15 Ks against one walk, one hit by pitch, faced just 21, 21 hitters in six innings. Three flyouts, not a single ground out. Does 108 pitches. Landon Sims comes in and goes three innings, allows three hits, all three in the ninth, and the one run, six Ks, no walks. So total 21 strikeouts against one walk. That is absolutely filthy. And then the one hit by pitch. 160 pitches thrown for Mississippi State. Landon Sims has credited with 52. The official numbers we had were 51. Uh, Ty Madden worked seven innings complete, four hits, two runs, ten strikeouts, two walks, uh, six flyouts, three groundouts. And then Pete Hansen comes in and works two innings of one-hit relief. Just simply not enough there. And so, again, a, a record-setting night with uh, 33 Ks between the two teams. It sets a college World Series record. Mississippi State also a Mississippi State record for strikeouts in a game. The record for an individual pitcher – Actually happened in the 1960s, a pitcher from Ohio State as part of a 15-inning game struck out 20. So that record might stand for a while. It's because of the fact that we just we, we care a little more about arms these days than we did back in the 1960s. So what does that mean for Mississippi State? Well, we have been in this position three years in a row. That's one of the things that, you know, listen, we want to win that first game, obviously, because you want to make life easier on yourself. But we have been in this position the last three years. Game one in 2018, we walked off Washington, a one nothing ball game, very similar to what we had tonight. Bounced back in game two, and we beat North Carolina 12-2. to So we're in the winner's bracket, and, of course, North Carolina had beaten Oregon State. And so it just felt like, you know what, we're in good shape here. Does Oregon State have the pitching to come back? They did. We still had a chance to win game three. Oregon State crushed us in that, that one late. And then you know, game four, to read the bracket final, we just couldn't get that big hit. We lose, like, I think, 5-3. In 2019, we beat Auburn in game one, lose to Vanderbilt, and then lose in the ninth to uh, Louisville. So while it's great to win, I think it's important to understand the job is far from done. You know, we've got to find a way to get to that final weekend series. But, you know, this is a huge win because, number one, a lot of people were expecting Texas to win the thing. Uh, absolutely expecting Texas to win this thing, at least our side of the bracket. And now they're in the loser's bracket and we'll play Tennessee. And so when I look at all this, I begin to think to myself is that, you know, if we have beaten the best team in the bracket and now the the second, the first and third teams in the bracket, Tennessee, I don't think Tennessee's better than us, uh, they're going to play head-to-head. And whoever comes out of that game, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to piece this thing together pitching-wise. Now, there's obviously a chance Todd Madden could come back if they last long enough in the tournament. But on short rest, I'd love to see him again. I mean, that's the thing. I don't know if he wants to see us again. But there's a good chance we would see him again if Texas comes out of the bracket. I, I really like Tennessee's options here. You know, I think Tennessee has a chance you know, to, to go win this ball game in the elimination game. I just don't know if, if offensively they're going to be able to do a whole lot. I think they're going to have to win a pitcher's game. And uh, as we saw, you know, against Virginia, they really, really struggled to do that. When they're not getting what they need offensively, they're going to be a difficult team 
uh, to advance. It's going to be very difficult for them to advance just because of the fact that this is Omaha. And so you can't just kind of coast around and coast around and coast around and hope you get into the bullpen and somebody hits a tank late to put the game away. It just doesn't work that way uh, in Omaha. And it's like people are saying, well, you know, Steve, it's it's a 2-1 ball game. I mean, that, that's, that's College World Series. That's what you expect. There's just not a lot of blowouts. And it's crazy with all that's happened, you know, the first couple of days up here. This is the one that's more indicative of how this park is supposed to play. And we had the, the elements that would lend itself to thinking that this is going to be an offensive showcase. And just only one ball leaves the yard. And that was just, you know, a ball that we leave up with a 2 nothing lead. You're trying to challenge a hitter and get ahead. And, hey, to his credit, he hit a tank. And then it got a little bit hairy. But Landon Sims, again, has some real mental toughness. How many Bulldog relievers in your lifetime do you believe would have been able to get out of that mess? I mean, State never even got anybody else up. We just rode with Sims, and he he got the job done. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't clean. But we get it done. And so Mississippi State advances, and let's take a quick look at the bracket here. I think these are things we look at that we can be excited about. But, um, you know, there's just uh, yeah, a lot that's happened here over the course of the last couple of days. And uh, let's just kind of keep you guys updated for those of you that, that haven't really kept up. Let me pull this bracket up for you. I want to make sure we got the scores right, too. They all kind of run together, especially when you're in the wee hours of the morning. And, yes, I did pause the show to go uh, eat my dinner. So, all right, so let's look here at the College World Series. It's absolutely incredible to see how this thing is breaking loose because there were so many people that thought, well, you know, Pac-12 is so great, and uh, I'm not a big Pac-12 fan. I don't. I think they kind of get bound pitching and defense. And offensively, you see a team like Arizona – and people say, oh, they're, they're a great offense. They are a really good offense. But I, you know, when you get here, everybody's got elite pitching. And elite pitching always beats offense. So uh, so here's how it breaks down. Uh, Stanford and NC State. NC State wins the ball game 10-4 to over Stanford. A bit of a surprise there. They will play Vanderbilt game six Monday night. Monday night. Stanford and Arizona will play the uh, early game. On Monday, That's, that should be a 1 p.m. game. Stanford and Arizona, of course, Arizona loses uh, to Vanderbilt 7-6 and 12. Would really like to see Arizona win that. I actually think we match up pretty well with those guys. But So Stanford and Arizona, no matter how you slice it, a team from the Pac-12 is going to be the first team eliminated from the College World Series. They had six teams make the tournament. And four of those six got bounced in the regionals. And then the two that made the Supers made it to Omaha. They'll now go head-to-head. So somebody from the Pac-12 is going to see their college baseball season end Monday afternoon. And listen, weather could be a factor. That's one of the things that we're still watching. Bracket two, which is our bracket, you know, Tennessee and Virginia go head-to-head, and UVA wins that thing six to nothing. Uh, they threw Abbott, and they threw Wyatt. That's their dudes. <laughs> that is absolutely their dudes. So we will see how things progress. But uh, I like the matchup. We'll preview Virginia a little bit later in the show. And, of course, Mississippi State beats Texas 2-1. Uh, to one. Tennessee and Texas will play Tuesday at 1 p.m. An orange team is going home, no matter how you slice it. And I, I look forward to that game. I think it will be a great one. I just wonder how those teams are going to pitch it. And, of course, State and Virginia will be in the nightcap Tuesday night. And that'll be on ESPN, too. I know everybody's always looking for that. So all of the games on Monday will be on ESPN. All the games on Tuesday will be on ESPN, too. 
Hope that makes sense to you. So now Mississippi State's guaranteed at least two more games. I mean, it's a double elimination tournament. You've won one, so you know you have at least two games left. Going to try to get all this wrapped up by Saturday. And then, of course, the College World Series final is a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday deal. And we hope to still be here playing baseball next week. I mean, today is Monday, but how nice would it be uh, next Monday morning you get up and we're previewing our national championship series. I told you guys on the Friday show that I believed the team that won this game between State and Texas would be playing for a national championship next week. I still believe that. I believe Mississippi State is going to win this bracket. And I think we have absolutely got the best-case scenario because the two teams that scare me the most are Tennessee and Texas. Those two teams are going to play head-to-head, and then the loser is going to have to kind of really, really tax their pitching staff. That's why it's so important for us to beat Virginia on Monday, on Tuesday night. You win that game, and I think this becomes an absolute best-case scenario for Mississippi State because nobody else has the pitching that, say, Oregon State had back in 2018. They were built on pitching. They also had some power, and just you just don't have anybody in this field you look at and say – Man, I'm really worried about those guys. That's the thing we said all along this year. There's not a dominant team in college baseball, even though people wanted to paint Arkansas in that light. And listen, that's fair for the most part. But they weren't a dominant team. They were a very successful team. They were a winning team. They win the SEC. But they're not here. They're not here for us. Kind of like in 2018, we swept them. They're the ones that played for the title. And so the thing that we have said for weeks now, is we felt like it was going to be a wide-open field here in Omaha. It absolutely is. It's going to be about who gets hot, who gets great pitching performances. And I would say right now the two teams you look at and say, man, those, those two teams are turning in the right direction are Virginia and Mississippi State. You win that game Tuesday, life gets a whole lot easier for you, to say the least. And that other bracket I think is, uh, is interesting too. I, I like Vanderbilt. But Vanderbilt's got to win game two. And that's the thing about this bracket is you got to get three and sometimes four wins to win that thing. And I don't know on the back end of that if Vanderbilt really has that kind of pitching left. Now, Rocker, of course, could come back and throw perhaps in a, a game four you know, to get them to the national championship series. And, and listen, at this, at this point, there is no tomorrow, right? I mean, it's not you're not worried about their next start. It's about winning the next game. So... Those are things that will be awfully interesting. But uh, I really liked Stanford's chances in that bracket, which makes what happened with NC State all the more remarkable. NC State takes down Arkansas, and they take down Stanford, a team that many people thought should be a top-eight national seed. They end up being number nine. They go to Texas Tech and just destroy them. But as I said on Friday's show, what do we know about the Big 12? Three of the top eight make the top-eight national seed. Two of those three didn't make the field. One didn't get out of the regional TCU. One got smoked at home in a super regional Texas Tech. And then Texas drops their first game at Omaha, now one game away from elimination. I think it's pretty safe to say Big 12, probably not what we expected. The ACC, on the other hand, of course, we beat the ACC champion back on Monday to advance to Omaha, Notre Dame. You know, they're probably feeling pretty good about life right now. NC State and Virginia win their first games. And so now you begin to look at this thing and say, okay, Pac-12 is about to be done. Big 12 could be done. And it could boil down to Mississippi State, uh, an SEC school, or an ACC school. And I would venture to say that these are the best two conferences most years. I don't know how good the ACC is this year because we can't really judge them 
because basically a conference-only schedule was played by Notre Dame, and they, they won the championship. And so I think when you look around here, they've obviously got some talent. There is some SEC-caliber talent in the league. But the bottom line is, is you win in Omaha, you legitimize yourself as a program. I want to go back a little bit, too, before we move into the top ten list. You know, we have talked about being elite. You know, what what do elite teams do? And it's so easy when it's your team to be so acutely aware of their deficiencies that you can't give them credit. And that happens a lot. Let me encourage you guys to go read the Texas message boards tonight. There are people that want to fire David Pierce. David Pierce has won, what, two Big 12 titles in the last four years, going to Omaha, two of the last four years, and they lose a ball game to a better pitching staff, 2-1. to one. It's not like they got beat 11-1. to one. They got beat 2-1. to one. You know, one base hit away from tying that thing up and a big, a big fly away from winning the ball game, and people want to fire him. People want to fire David Pierce because we get so emotionally invested in the game, sometimes we lose our ability to have context, right? You go look at the Ole Miss message boards. You know, they're like, hey, we should have been there. I, I don't agree with that, but there is a segment of people that really care. And they're like, hey, you know, listen, we see what Mississippi State's doing. Why can't that be us? Talk to some LSU people, uh, some friends of mine over the weekend. They're like, hey, we're pulling for you guys. Yeah, it's about time you guys won one. You know, and that's kind of a backhanded compliment. But at the same time, too, it's like when you look at the way this thing breaks down, there are so many times we only focus on what's wrong with us. We only focus on the things that we see, and it kind of makes us a little bit immune to the fact that there are other people out there that are struggling with the same issues we are. Getting production from the bottom third of the order, getting consistency from your middle relievers, finding a guy that can go pitch in game three for you. We believe we found that, Houston Harding, just the right time. And so I think it's exciting for us, but also, too, there's a lot of work left to be done. As I asked Rowdy Jordan tonight, hey, you've been in this position before. You've been Omaha three years in a row, and you've You've won the first game, but yet you haven't been able to finish the deal. And the look on his face is kind of like he, Rowdy gets it. He didn't need me to remind him of that. I think it's important, too, these younger guys kind of appreciate the fact that, you know what, I don't have to be a veteran to go out here and play well. Will Bednar played exceptionally well. Landon Sims played well. Cam James played well. So you start running down the list there, and you start thinking, okay, well, you know, We've already got one game under our belt, and it was successful. We don't have to feel the pressure of elimination yet. We can go out here and play loose. And we're going to get to Virginia after the top ten list, but this is not a great Virginia team. It's a well-coached team. It's a very good team, and there are no bad teams still playing baseball. But if you had to pick and choose who you'd play in game two, wouldn't all of you have picked Virginia? You don't want to play Tennessee. Remember, Tennessee smashed us in Hoover. And Hoover seems like such a distant memory now. It's like, are we really talking about Hoover? What? You know, we have played exceptional baseball in the postseason. I think we can feel good about where we are. And I think it's it's time to get excited in many respects. I know some people have already reached out to me and said, hey, Steve, I've already booked my rooms for the championship series. I hope we get there. I do too. But we got to go win some more ballgames. we got to win at least two, maybe three, to get there. And do we have the pitching to win an if-necessary game? I don't know. So let's just take care of business here. Let's go get a win from Christian on Tuesday, and then Hootie can uh, maybe get us to the championship series. And then we'll figure it out from there. But, again, fantastic performance by Will Bednar and Landon Sims, of course, doing what Landon Sims does. And you know what? I'll be honest with you, in a 2 nothing ball game in the ninth inning, I want my guy challenging hitters. 
I don't want him up there, you know, nibbling, hoping the guy gets himself out. Go get him. Go get him. Be aggressive. Because the last thing I want is a dead gum leadoff walk. If a guy goes up there and hits a tank, you know it's a 2-1 ball game. And you don't want it to be that close, but that's the worst case scenario is he hits a solo home run. You start getting cute up there. Next thing you know, you walk a guy and you got top of the order up there and somebody runs into one, ball game's over and you've lost a game that you've absolutely dominated. And so, again, State does what State needed to do. I'm very proud for this team, proud for our baseball parents, proud for our coaching staff. And I do believe we have a chance to really do it. I don't think there's any question. I think we have a chance to go win the NAFL championship, and I think we're in a great position to go win this bracket. we got to hit the baseball better, obviously, on Tuesday. But we face one of the best arms in the country, and we beat. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer. And you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding. Whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at Tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Beat him for the second straight time. All right, johnnypacker.com. That's your sponsor for today's top ten list. And listen, those guys are great. Brandon, John Packer, the whole group there. Listen, they have put a business model together to provide great quality sunglasses at an affordable price. And a lot of Mississippi connections here. Go check them out yourself at johnnypacker.com. That's P-A-C-K-E-R, Johnny Packer, like meat packer, johnnypacker.com. You can get the Greenville sunglasses. There are a lot of them out there that you'll find. And, as again, and again, if you see the frames you want and the show sold out, don't panic. Just send them an email at that contact us, and they'll put you a pair on order, and they'll get them for you. This What it is is you guys are buying so many sunglasses, sometimes it's difficult to keep up with inventory. So if they can turn those orders around really, really fast, I can tell you that the quality of your sunglasses are incredible. You're going to be glad you got them. They'll fit your face well. They won't pinch your nose. They ride on your face really well. Great construction. It's, you, know, you need to stop buying these cheap sunglasses. Learn the difference between price and cost. You know, sometimes you may pay a cheaper price, but it may cost you in the long run because you end up buying three and four pair of glasses over the course of a couple of years. Buy some that are going to last you. 
You're a grown-up, right? You owe it to yourself. Johnny Packer also, too, a, a person that's lived with cystic fibrosis throughout his year, and he is a guy, too, that uh, a portion of your purchase, the proceeds from that, will go directly to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. So not only are you getting a, a great product at a great price from Mississippi State folks, you're donating to a great cause. New blue light glasses available now, too, and if you're like me and you spend a lot of time behind a computer screen, that's probably something you should consider. And again, that's johnnypacker.com. Use promo code BONEYARD to save 10% off your order. All right, top 10 list, and this one, listen, I'm on the road, so I don't have all my notes with me, so I apologize for not giving you a shout-out here. But it's the uh, the 27 Club. The 27 Club, you guys may be somewhat familiar with that. It's uh, a list of artists, and there are dozens you know, the singers, songwriters, actresses, actors, all of the above that have died mysteriously at the age of 27. Some people have suggested that perhaps these people sold their soul to the devil in 27 years is supposed to be the, uh, you know, the, the time to cash in. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know if I believe in that stuff. But uh, anyway, I wanted to recognize these folks. We've got a great top 10 list, very diverse. And listen, there's some bands on here that have never been on a top 10 list and will probably never be on a top 10 list again. I mean, that, that's how unique this list is. So top 10 songs from the 27 Club. And again, that's musicians that died at the age of 27. Number 10, there was a young man by the name of Pigpen. It was one of the founding members of the Grateful Dead. Very, very, um, you know, kind of an introverted guy that uses music to express his pain and uh, had a bit of a relationship with Janis Joplin, and she's later in the list too. And uh, he died of like a stomach embolism due to alcoholism. I mean, it was a very, very painful situation. But the song I went for was Truckin' by Grateful Dead, Truckin'. Number nine, Alan Wilson. Alan Wilson uh, from Canned Heat. Another young guy that died very, very early and was really kind of the leader and the driving force behind the band, Canned Heat. And they had a handful of hits, but the one that stands out to me is Let's Work Together. Let's Work Together. Number eight, Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones, one of the founding members of the Rolling Stones. Uh, Once he was dismissed from the band because his behavior got really erratic due to alcoholism, he went off the deep end and, and passed away. And uh, very, very, very sad story. One of the only songs that he has any credit on is Ruby Tuesday. And he basically kind of put a demo together and then, um, you know, Mick and those guys made it a real song. So Brian Jones, probably his greatest contribution from a songwriting standpoint is Ruby Tuesday. Number seven, another one that you probably haven't heard in forever. You've probably heard this song and never knew where it originated. It's been covered several times. Lillian Axe on their album Poetic Justice actually covered this song. I'm going to see Lillian Axe next month at Howl Mouse. Can't wait. So the song is No Matter What by Badfinger. And Pete Ham was a keyboardist and one of the songwriters for the band. So No Matter What, probably the biggest Badfinger track. Number six, somebody you guys are very familiar with, and it's really about... There's only a couple songs from this band that I can stomach, and uh, one of them is so overplayed, and some of you guys go to Spencer Gifts, and you get your little t-shirt, and you don't know three of these band songs, and you expect to be taken seriously. Well, I don't take it seriously. But I'm going with Kurt Cobain and Nirvana here at number six. 
and probably my favorite Nirvana song. I don't have it's, it's difficult for me to say because I don't I don't like Nirvana much at all. And I think one of the things I don't like is I don't I don't like these uh, bandwagon Nirvana fans. See, I lived through this too, and it was like so many like Nirvana was not nearly as good as many people remember them to be. And that's one of the things I look at. It's like, I mean, they had a couple songs, you know, and like people are like, oh my gosh, changed the generation. Well, it really didn't. You know, Pearl Jam was much better than Nirvana. Soundgarden, much better than Nirvana. And sadly, tragedy has affected all those bands. I would even argue that Screaming Trees and Mud Honey better than Nirvana. I know Mud Love Bone was. But, uh, but anyway, Kurt is part of the 27 Club. Can't deny the guy had some talent. He was kind of an erratic songwriter and had a lot of behavior that was very questionable. But I went with Heart Shaped Box. And a lot of people have covered that. I don't think any of them are nearly as good as the original. Number five, we're going back to a one of the founding members of this group. Some say that he was poisoned because he had an affair with a club owner's wife. Don't know if that's true or not. But Robert Johnson was known to uh, love the ladies even after he was married. Could have gone a lot of directions here. I went with Crossroad Blues, man. Crossroad Blues, that, that is the song that I think typifies who Robert Johnson was. Number four, kind of a prophetic song here. One of the, one of the better singers of the last 20 years. I mean, just a phenomenal talent. Great songwriter, very unique personality. Also dealt and lived with a lot of pain. It's Amy Winehouse. And I went with Rehab, her signature song. Uh, and it's really kind of sad. She has so many other songs, too. And, and I understand there is a nice catalog of music that has not been released that she actually worked on and demoed and things like that. So maybe one day that music will see the light of day. But she, she had an old soul and an old school voice. And that's one of the things I think that really made her unique. So it's Rehab by Amy Winehouse there at number four. Number three, The Doors. Went with Jim Morrison. He's also in the club. Legendary performer. My favorite Doors song and it's not close, to be honest with you. It's Roadhouse Blues. So that's your number three song, Roadhouse Blues from The Doors, in honor of Jim Morrison. Number two is actually a cover song. And, you know, I've kind of got a policy about that. But because in many respects, I think this became this young lady's signature song. I thought it was okay for us to use it. It was originally a Chris Christopherson song. It's me and Bobby McGee and Janis Joplin. I'm a big Janis Joplin fan. I could have, I almost went with Move Over here because I like that's one that doesn't get played a lot. You know, a lot of people do you play another piece of my heart. And all that. There's so many of them, you know, with Big Brother and the Holding Company that people kind of lean on. I think Move Over is a great one. But uh, me and Bobby McGee, I know it gets played a lot. But it's an incredible song. And I don't know that Chris Christopherson gets enough credit for being a songwriter, but uh, it became Janice's signature tune. Number one, the person that I think is the most talented and the most innovative at the club, the club of 27, it's Jimi Hendrix. And I decided to go, you know, we just did a top 10 Jimi list, and there's so many great songs from Jimi that I, mean, I could do long. I hear my train to come in, I and mean, there's so many great, great ones, especially when you get a little deeper into uh, Are You Experienced and those kind of things. But I went with Little Wing. So your number one song today is Little Wing by Jimi Hendrix. And again, I told you it's a very diverse list. I love this playlist, I'll be honest with you. It bounces around so much, and there's so many incredible voices on this. But um, you know, one of the things I like about it, too, is just the diversity on the list. You know, People from different races and different genders, different backgrounds, different musical talents. I mean, some of these people were keyboard players or bassists or guitarists, lyricists, singers. 
a lot to choose from. So there's your top 10 list. Again, top 10 songs from the 27 Club. Top 10 from the 27 Club. And, of course, that's artists that died at the age of 27. You can look that up, too. There's some interesting... There's a documentary on Netflix about it that's not very good. I'll be honest with you, so don't go watch that. But there's a lot of articles out there that kind of talk about some of the the things behind the scenes. And a lot of the stuff at the age of 27 was self-inflicted. I mean, there's a lot of suicides. There's a lot of... uh, you know, live fast and die young, leave a good-looking corpse type uh, stuff with these folks. But 27 is far too young to die. So let's honor their music, and you guys give them a listen today. That's your top 10 list. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. I may use it. Got a lot of requests, and uh, we're getting to them, and we're having a good time with all that stuff. So let's uh, let's take some time now and thank our friends from Campus Bookmark. Stan and Ma'am, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, everybody up there will treat you like family because in their mind you are family. I love going up there. I, I even got a, a happy Father's Day message from a couple people up there. It's uh, Listen, it's a family. It really is. Go by, check them out. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Campusbookmart.net. All right, let's look at Virginia because it's going to be a ball game here before you know it. Again, unlike the four team NCAA regionals, we get a day off. So you get some rest here, which kind of sets your pitching up for a little bit better down the stretch. But Virginia, again, let's let's kind of be comprehensive with this thing too. Let's just don't, you know, kind of glaze over it here. Uh, Virginia, 36 and 25 on the year, 8 and 2 as a neutral side opponent. I think that is significant. This is a team that understands, hey, listen, we can go on the road and play, and we'll have some fans there too. Just 12 and 11 away from home. But anybody that finishes 500 or better on the road is pretty solid. Again, they're 18 and 18 in their league and 36, 25 overall. Let's run down the schedule here real quick. Uh, they opened the year taking two out of three from UConn. They beat VMI in a midweek game, and then they lose two out of three at Chapel Hill against the Tar Heels. They beat George Washington in a midweek game, and then they lose two out of three to Florida State. Wasn't looking good, right? I mean, they did they did not get off to a great start in the ACC. They beat Richmond in a midweek game. Then they, they host Notre Dame, and they're swept. So you open the first three weekends of ACC play, you lose two out of three, then you're swept. I mean, so right out of the gate, you know, what What do you, you know, two and seven? I mean, that, that that's not going to get it done. Well, they bounce back. They, they take down Towson in the midweek. Uh, I guess the bounce back wasn't coming yet. They, they lose two out of three to Pitt. And that's back when Pitt was riding high. They lose at Liberty in a midweek game. And then they lose two out of three to Miami. You begin to think, Steve, when did these guys ever win a game? They turned it around late. I mean, that, that's the thing, too, is this is a team, too, that has kind of found its identity, got some guys healthy. They win at George Washington in the midweek, and then they take two out of three on the road at Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech was ranked in the top ten back then. It, it almost seems like ten years ago. Their first ACC series win, and, and it's against a ranked opponent. So that kind of became a bit of a rallying point for them. Now, they beat William & Mary in the midweek, and then they take two out of three at Clemson. And, of course, Clemson makes the NCAA tournament. I mean, so this is not just, you know, 
beating up on uh, just anybody. I mean, this is a team, obviously, that, that wants ball games. They have a game with Old Dominion postponed. They bounce back and um, lose at home two out of three against Louisville. And the game they won was an 8-7 winner in 10 innings on Friday. They lose on the road at VCU and then take two out of three from Duke and Charlottesville. They finally beat Liberty, and then they take two out of three from Virginia Tech. They lose to VCU again. We're familiar with those guys, right? They came to Mississippi State's regional here a couple weeks ago. Then they absolutely destroy Wake Forest at home. That's a 17-0, 6-5, and 5-4 game. So they really blew them out on Friday. The other two games competitive. They go to Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, and lose, excuse me, take two out of three from Boston College. Kind of got some good things going. They get into the ACC tournament. They beat Virginia Tech again. They drill Notre Dame 14-1 and then lose to Duke 4-2. So they get an at-large bid, and then they, they have absolutely taken a new lease on life in the postseason. They open up at South Carolina. They lose the first game, 4-3. They bounce back and play Jacksonville, who was the four in that regional. Old Dominion was the one, if you recall. South Carolina was a two. Virginia was the three. They barely get in the tournament. So they beat Jacksonville 13-8. They bounce back to take care of South Carolina 3-2 to to eliminate the Gamecocks. They get hot and then take down Old Dominion 8-3 to to force a winner-take-all regional final. Well, then they get the day off, a chance to kind of rest some pitching because of the weather on June 7th. They come back and win 4-3 to in 10 innings against Old Dominion to win the regional. Super Regional, of course, also still at Columbia. They get Dallas Baptist. You know, Dallas Baptist finally kind of broke through. A lot of people felt like, you know, this is an, an Omaha team. And then Dallas Baptist wins game one of the Super 6-5. Well, then they get the uh, – they get – they win for nothing, so now it's a winner-take-all deal, and they win it five-two. And many of you guys watched it. I mean, they had to go into Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. But Virginia wins it, and so they get to Omaha, and it's like you go back and look at this thing, how abysmal their starts were at the beginning of the year. You know, how does this happen? How does a team that starts that bad? It's very reminiscent of the 2018 Mississippi State team. You had a bunch of adversity, and you kind of figured some things out in the middle of the year. You got it done. And then they go out there today, and they uh, they beat Tennessee 6 nothing. It's crazy. And so you look up one day, and you say, you know what? Those guys don't have any business being in a tournament, and here they are in Omaha. Then you start thinking, well, surely those guys, will, you know, they'll get beat, and then they win. And so belief is a difficult thing to defeat. Those are the things that I think are important. When teams believe in themselves and believe in each other, it's very, very difficult to talk them out of it. And you look at what they've done. This team has kind of rallied together. Do I think they can beat us? Yes, I do. Do I think they will beat us? No, I do not. I think we will find a way to win this thing. But, you know, looking at their numbers here, I mean, listen, they're hitting 264 as a team. And they're not a great offensive team. Uh, Kyle Teal, who was a stud, hitting 318 for them. And then Zach, uh, I think this is Geloff. I may be wrong about that, so I apologize. I watched that game. You think I would have a pronunciation guide. That's the only two guys on the team hitting above 300. That's it. 
Kyle Teal is a guy that's hit some tanks, though. But listen, they're not a big power team. They don't have a single guy on the roster with double-digit home runs. Not a single one. And again, like the math just doesn't compute. And when you look at these numbers and say, well, they only got a couple guys hitting over 300. They don't have any real power numbers to speak of. And they don't even have, you know, somebody look at and say, this, hey, this is a real RBI guy here. It's pretty much spread throughout the lineup. You know, Kyle Teal leads them in most statistical categories, 318, and he only played in 52 games this year. Uh, 64 hits, 10 doubles, 9 dingers, and 40 rippies. The 9 dingers is a team high. The 40 rippies second on the team. Nick Kent has 45. They're a team that runs the bases okay. They run it a lot, but they get caught a lot. 65 of 82 on the year. Uh, Zach, and again, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, uh, Geloff or Geloff, 12 of 13. Chris Newell also 12 of 13. Uh, Nick Kent, 14 of 17. And so they like to run the bases and take some chances and put some pressure on your catcher. But they also get thrown out a pretty good percentage. And uh, you know, opponents are 50 of 68 in stolen bases. Defensively, pretty good team, 975. Not great, not bad. Right there in the pretty good category. So 975. And it's like you look at this and you begin to think, well, Steve, what do they do well? Well, they do everything pretty well. They don't do anything great, though. And sometimes that's a mark of a good team. And that's kind of how Mississippi State is. It's like, you know, what we offensively, we don't do anything great. We do a lot of things pretty well. We pitch it really well, especially in the bullpen. But when you look at the numbers here, very, very similar. Very, very similar. I'm going to, I think the numbers for, through the, obviously our numbers are going to be down a little bit because we only had five hits, but I think our numbers are now reflected in the statistics. Let me, let me download that file here, make sure we have that correct. So season statistics for Mississippi State, it's crazy how all this stuff on computers. And so, so as of now, Mississippi State as a team is hitting 280. So what are we, 10, 12 points higher? We've hit 70 home runs as a team. They've hit 49. So, again, this is, you know, I think this is a team you look at and say, you know what, I feel pretty good about this. And with Christian McLeod going out there, Christian obviously pitches better on the road, uh, has had plenty of rest, and he's going against a team that can't really hurt him. He's going up against a team that just really doesn't have a lot of pop in their bat. And so it's a good matchup for us in many respects. A lot of people are wondering who they're going to start. I'm sure they're going to be pretty coy about that while they figure it out. Uh, good chance it could be Mike Vassell. Uh, Mike Vassell has uh, 16, excuse me, 15 starts on the year with a 7-5 record, a 4.82 ERA. He's allowed 97 hits and 74 innings pitch. So he's definitely a guy that can be hit. Opponents are hitting 311 against him. Allowed 13 home runs as well. You get a little deeper in this thing. I mean, you know, Nate Savino is a guy that's got 10 starts and 3-3 three and three record and 3.86 ERA. Uh, Griff McGarry, 13-10 and 10 record, 6.06 ERA. Excuse me, 0-5 oh record for him. 10 starts and 13 appearances. And so, again, you look at this and say, well, you know, this thing kind of falls apart pretty quick once you get to the front-line guy. But you know what? They've had some guys playing over their head. They found a way to win a regional. They found a way to win a super regional despite these very pedestrian numbers. It's incredible to think about this. You know, opponents are hitting 
what, 239 against them. You know, so it's, it's not great. It's certainly not bad. But it's pretty clear they pitch it and defend it pretty well. Similar to kind of like a poor man's Notre Dame. So we'll see how things kind of shake out. Let me, let's look at the schedule here, too, because it's a couple of things I wanted to look at before we move on here. Because I think it's um, it's just interesting to me that a team like this could still be in the tournament. And I don't say that to be disrespectful. I just think it's interesting, you know, because you look at this and say, well, surely by now the luck would have run out. But, you know, they're still playing with house money now. And if you watched them against, you know, Dallas Baptist out in this, the, the Super out there in Columbia, you know, they play really hard. They play with a lot of effort defensively. I mean, when that – I guess it was the seventh inning in that deciding game in a Super Regional. Defensively, they kind of took the game over and kind of gave their offense a bit of a lift in that ball game. But let's just kind of look here at the last couple. Let's look at the game twos they've had. Game two against Dallas Baptist. Uh, Virginia started Cliff McGarry, Griff McGarry. He's the one that started that game. Game two of the Super against Dallas Baptist. Looking a little bit deeper here towards uh, the clincher against Dallas Baptist. Virginia throws Nate Savino. You know, so it's the names that you know, but... You just doesn't appear to be a shutdown guy outside of Abbott in this in this order, and so you begin to get excited about it. But you then all of a sudden you just kind of look up and you wonder, well, yeah, this is a great matchup for us. But wait a minute, we're in Omaha. You know, how'd they get here? There's some magic involved in all of that, and so again, State's got to go out there and play well. You know, they're not. There's no bad team still playing baseball. And this is a team right now that felt like you know what, as bad as things went for us this year, we got a chance. We got a chance to turn this thing around, and they did. You know, O'Connor's a great coach out there. I mean, he's been there what eighteen years now, something ridiculous like that. Guys won a national championship, and so listen, he knows how to manage things in Omaha. So they're not going to be shell shocked. And again, I think one of these teams too that when you're playing with house money, you can play loose. And when you're expected to get here, and you know, this kind of the, the, the drive for a national championship. Is it, so anything short of that kind of feels like a failure. It's easy to get caught up in all that stuff. You start thinking, oh, man, you know, all this pressure for us to perform. Well, if you're Virginia, their fans are already ecstatic because they got a chance to get an Omaha shirt. They're not expecting anything more than that. And so, yeah, they're going to come out there and take chances, and they're going to play hard, and they're going to give us the, their best effort. And you know, the thing that I, th- I get back to about – at some point, Cinderella's slipper bursts. And I think that's going to be the case for Virginia on Tuesday night. Might be completely wrong. I just don't think so. I think this is a team that um, has kind of benefited in the postseason you know, from really kind of playing some mediocre teams, to be honest with you. I mean, a lot of people kind of scratch their heads about South Carolina getting in and then hosting. And then there were people that kind of scratch their heads a little bit about Old Dominion being a one seed. And they were like, and the only reason people were in favor of it is because it meant South Carolina didn't get one. You know, but Old Dominion's a you know, Cusa team. I mean, you know, how deep are they going to be against a Power 5 team? And then they get Dallas Baptist, a team that I really think the moment proved to be too big for them in the clincher. And so just as I mentioned about Texas, I didn't think Texas had really been tested in the postseason. They have now. 
I think Virginia is kind of in the same boat and probably even more so than Texas. I think Texas had played better teams in the postseason than Virginia. And then Virginia gets up here and beats Tennessee. But, you know, they've got a star in Abbott, and then, you know, Matt Wyatt is outstanding. I'm sure Wyatt can come back and throw in an inning or two against us on Tuesday. But I really think State is going to jump out, and I think it could be a situation where we don't need Landon Sims. That's the big question that everybody has. It's like, Steve, can he come back and throw? Yeah, he could probably get you an inning on Tuesday, maybe two. I don't think it's going to be that kind of ball game, though. I think we're going to be able to get a lead. I think we're going to be able to, to kind of rock a little bit here. I think the, the Bulldog bats are going to get going. And one thing, so if I can find my phone here, I want to look at two. So we're going to have cooler temperatures on Monday. Uh, in Omaha, I think the high is supposed to be 75. It's going to be cooler. So the ball's probably not going to carry as much. That's usually how it works. On Tuesday, it does heat up a little bit again. The high is 88, low of 57. But what's interesting, too, is it doesn't get dark around here until like 9 o'clock. You know, so like you start a game at 6, you know, the night hadn't even fallen. You know, and so there's still going to be some temperatures. So we could see the balls jumping a little bit. We get into Wednesday, the high is 93. It's projected for 93, and it's supposed to be sunny. So this could be a very, very offensive stretch here the next few days. And so just kind of be mindful of that because, again, this is a pitcher's park, but you're getting some unseasonably warm weather, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with the wind patterns over the course of the next couple of days. I don't think it really affects us that much because we're not so reliant on the long ball. We can go out there and manufacture runs. We get guys on. We can move them around and get them in. And that was very instrumental of what happened for us, you know, against Texas. You know, the first run there, I mean, you, you they give Cam James a walk, and next thing you know, you know, he's scoring on a sack fly. And so you, you get that run home without the real benefit of a hit. We've been good at that sort of stuff. Situational hitting. What do you do when you've got a guy on the mound that's really heaving and it's going to be difficult to put two and three hits together? Well, you've got to find a way to move runners around safely and get productive outs, and we've become pros at that. We really have done a good job at that. And, again, as I mentioned earlier, there were a couple times I thought we were a little bit too aggressive on the base path. You know what? It worked out. And here's the deal, too. If Cam James makes it to third, it's probably not a three. It's probably not a 2-1 ball game. It's probably, you know, a 3 nothing ball game or a 3-1 or a 4-1 ball game. So, you know, I think it's what I like about it is even though I thought that maybe it was a bit of a risk, is I like guys who play to win. You know, sometimes you can be a little bit reckless. I don't know that that was the case here. I think we're just trying to go make a play. But I think that's something that will continue to rest of the tournament. I think this team truly believes they can win the NFL championship. And I believe they can too. And I, I've been surrounded by fans for two days, Mississippi State fans, that Steve, we're going to do it. Steve, we're going to do it. Steve, it's our time. It's our time. We're going to do it. And when you look around this bracket here, you can say, okay, who out here can definitely beat Mississippi State? Well, everybody's capable. But there's nobody you look at and say, you know what, that team is better than Mississippi State. That team can beat Mississippi State. That team will beat Mississippi State. It's not like when 2019 came, you know, we'd been beaten by Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament one nothing, And so we knew how good they were. We knew they kind of had our number. And then we get them in game two of the, of the bracket, and they were just better than us. 
And so all of a sudden we're in the losers bracket. We're thinking, okay, when you got win an elimination game here, and then we got to fight our way back through it. And it didn't work out for us. You know, I think when, this is where things I think are a little bit different with this group is that you know, you know, we have an opportunity I think to kind of put a stranglehold on this thing because there really is nobody in our bracket. Really, even in the tournament, you look at it and say this team is head or even head and shoulders better than Mississippi State. It is absolutely wide open. And, yes, Vanderbilt, I think, sometimes has a little bit of our number. And so, you know, mentally you think, okay, I'd like somebody fresh. But I think there's a part of you, too. I mean, you already know what you're going to get. I just think that, you know, Rocker and Lighter, it's just probably a bad matchup for us, especially since we got Lighter last time. And Rocker's just a freak. I mean, that guy, like I've said before, when you go see that guy pitch at field level, guess what I'm talking about. You just don't see guys that size be nearly as athletic as him. He's phenomenal. And so, yeah, do I think we could beat him? Yes. Do I think we will beat him? I don't know. Would I rather play somebody else? Yes. Yes, I would. I absolutely would because I want to win the NFL championship. I, 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 this is not a revenge tour for me. I want the easiest path to hold the trophy because the season's long enough as it is without banging your head against the wall here in the championship series. we got to go win a couple of ball games there before that becomes a reality. So, Let's hang loose here for a day or two. Let's enjoy what's in front of us and get ready to go win a ball game Tuesday night. And again, I actually feel better about that ball game than I did about Texas. But I did think State would be Texas. I, I thought it would be a close ball game. I didn't think it'd be two to one. I, I didn't think we'd see 15 strikeouts and Will Bednar and 21 total for Mississippi State. That's the thing we talked about at the beginning of the year. State gets a ton of swing and miss, and then here we are doing the same thing against Omaha. Do you think they'll give us a trophy? If we win it, though, I mean, because we went 0-2 in Hoover. Do you think they'll put an asterisk on the trophy or something? Or will they, they say, hey, you guys can't have that. You lost to Missouri. See, all that stuff didn't matter anymore. And it didn't matter a whole lot then. you got to look at the bigger picture. Speaking of bigger pictures, Portico is here to take care of you. Brooks Bryan, my homie, love Brooks to death, man. You will, too. I don't know anybody that doesn't like Brooks Bryan. Maybe I haven't looked hard enough. But uh, everybody that I know that talks about Brooks always has good things to say. Listen, Brooks and his partners are invested in Starkville and invested in Mississippi State. They want Mississippi State and Starkville to be a great place. And so I encourage you, give Brooks an opportunity to take care of you. Brooks is part of this new development group. It's, uh, it's Open Portico, brand-new residential development right off of Garrett Road. You turn off of 82 on a 12, like going to Mississippi State. It's the very first right right there. That, that is Pat Station Road, which becomes Garrett Road. Crosses over at West Point. There's your new house there. That's how close it is to campus. Guys, it's 1.1 miles from campus. What could be better than that? And you got a little neighborhood market, Walmart, right out there for you, too. You don't have to go all the way across town when you forget to get the bread or milk or whatever. It's great. Brand new construction happening now. Only a couple of houses left in the first phase. Phase two is about to get underway. And many of you have said, you know what, Steve, one day I want to have a place up there. Now you can. And not just a place. You can have a great place. Call Brooks today. Here's his phone number. Brooks, my friend, your friend. He's going to help you get into that new place in Starkville, the one you've always wanted. It's 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move all right so a couple things i want to say before we get out of here i want to talk a little recruiting but before i do 
It was a tremendous Father's Day for me for a lot of reasons. And, uh, you know, I'm on the road. Obviously, I'm away from my family and uh, not able to, you know, to hug my girls or, or shake my son's hands or anything like that. I did stop and see Ani and, and his family on the way up here. Drove to Conway. Kind of took my time on Friday. Got here on midnight. But I uh, went by and saw my grandbaby and took her out to eat. And, and uh, so this morning I get up and I got a message from everybody. I heard from all my kids. And, uh, you know, that text, you know, it's like, What's well, just a text, but it means so much when it comes to people you love, right? And f- several of you reached out and sent me the list of the Mississippi Best uh, Sours list, the Mississippi Reed section in the Clarion Ledger. And Blooms of Oleander, number five, debuts at number five on the Mississippi Reeds list. And then it also pulls Stark Villains back on a top ten. So I had two books in a top ten this past week. How incredible is that? Really, really proud of both of them. Probably a little more proud of Blooms of Oleander right now because it's the newest one, right? And so if you're looking for that, let me encourage you. Uh, Turnbrook Books, is, uh, and Greenwood's going to have it. I'm actually going to be there. I believe it's July 15th. And we'll be setting up some other dates, too. I'm not going to tour a whole lot uh, this summer. going to do a few things here and there. But if you're looking for personalized copies, call Book Martin Cafe and Stark. Well, then get you lined up. And, of course, if I come to a sign and you do the same thing there. If you don't care anything about signatures or hugs or fun, or any of that kind of stuff, you just want the books, you go to Amazon.com or go to BarnesandNoble.com, Books a Million, you can order that book today. They have stock. It's crazy. They sold out the first week because you folks are absolutely perfect. So Blooms of Oleander, doing exceptionally well. I'm very, very proud of the work, and uh, probably do something else like that in the next couple of years. We've got some other things I'm working on here. Got a couple things baseball related that we're going to push out here probably within the next year. So be mindful of that as we kind of move forward. So let's talk a little recruiting. But I would be remiss if I didn't remind you to go to alphadogsthebook.com if you need personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. Many of you got that for Father's Day. I didn't want to tell you because I was sworn to secrecy. But again, you can get Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs personalized at alphadogsthebook.com. Let's talk a little bit of recruiting. So Tupelo offensive lineman, defensive lineman, Jacarius Clayton, recently decommitted. And so let me just be honest with you. This is kind of a mutual parting of the ways. This isn't a situation where, you know, he did something silly or where Mississippi State and just yanked an offer or whatever. The bottom line is, is this is a guy that committed to Joe Moorhead and his staff. And, uh, you know, has hung in here with State, and then now they've opened up things, and he sees, you know, kind of some other guys out there kind of enjoying the recruiting process, and he's like, you know what, I need to be sure about this. I made this decision, and now all of a sudden, you know, I'm able to go take visits, and he goes to Arizona State on a visit. I don't think he'll go to school out there. Goes and camps at Ole Miss. I think ultimately that's where he ends up. Uh, to be honest with you, because I believe they will give him a legitimate chance to play defensive line. I, I, I don't think he's a defensive lineman. And, and I, I don't say that in a negative way or to throw any you know shade at his character or his ability. I think he fits better at offensive guard. That's just my personal opinion. Could he play right tackle? Possibly. I just think that this is a guy that could play football for a long time as an offensive lineman. And I don't believe I'm alone in that. And I think ultimately that's where he fits. I think there are some people out there that are saying, hey, listen, we think you're going to be a defensive lineman because they, they think that's what he wants to hear. So – he has decommitted. And listen, guys, it's okay. I don't think any less of Jacarius Clayton. I, th- I think Jacarius is a great guy. I really do. Uh, he's got uh, got a dad in his corner that is very involved in his life and uh, is kind of helping him kind of navigate through all this stuff. 
And so I don't think this is a, you know, a situation where, you know, things are just, you know, out of control or anything. I think the bottom line is this is a young man that made a very early commitment and now is getting the benefit of being able to be recruited a little bit and decided, you know what, I owe it to myself to do that. And I think, you know, he kind of got the, uh, the old, if you're looking, we're looking speech. And I think he just feels like, you know what, and I don't want to speak on his behalf, but it's like, you know what, if, if that's the case, then uh, maybe the best thing for me to do is to reopen my recruitment. I don't think that he'll be back in the Mississippi State class. That does not diminish his talent in any way whatsoever. But, again, I do think he's an offensive lineman. And, listen, I know there are other people that disagree with me, and that's okay, too. We don't have to agree to be friends. There's a lot of things that, you know, if we talk enough, we're going to find out we don't agree on. But Jacarius Quay from Tupelo, uh, back on the market. And, again, I don't expect him to be a bulldog when it's all said and done, unless some things change pretty quickly on his on his part. You know, um, Let's talk a little bit about a few other guys. Uh, Cam East. Offensive lineman out of New Orleans from St. Augustine High School. They are an absolute powerhouse down there. That's where Leonard Fournette went to school. St. Augustine, they're, they're legit. Those guys regularly produce prospects. Cam East came to Mississippi State's camp uh, here recently, spent some time with the the family of, uh, of Bulldog coaches, thought there was a good chance he might commit then. He's coming back with his mom and grandmother this coming weekend. And I think that's rather significant. I don't know if he's coming to commit, but I do think that a decision is coming very, very soon. He had talked about potentially doing it in July. So maybe he takes a trip this week and then waits a few days and then does it in July. I don't know. But I do believe right now he is going to be a Mississippi State Bulldog. I think that is simply a matter of time. Now, there is also this whole thing about Lucas Taylor. You know, Lucas Taylor, of course, uh, flips from LSU to Mississippi State. And then the other people say, oh, well, you know, LSU dropped him. Well, it's not true. And, of course, it's so funny how that works. It's like as soon as a kid begins to show some, um, you know, some, some chinks in the armor or whatever, or a guy says, you know what, I'm not exactly sure. They changed my position, coach. Maybe I need to look at some other things. Oh, he had a bad camp. It's funny how that works. It's, all, it's always the things that you can't quantify, Right. Oh, well, you know, he has bad character or something like that. And of course, nobody said that about Lucas. That's not what I'm suggesting. But there's a lot of sour grapes in this whole thing. I mean, a ton of sour grapes when it comes to recruiting. And a lot of it is just, you know, the thing that I have always said and thought is drama is good for our industry. You know, like when a guy decommits, everybody runs to the message board to find out what happens. You know, it's not my job to run the spin for the Mississippi State coaching staff. It's like when a Chase and Virgil thing happened. You know, when we dropped Chase and Virgil, you know, about 10 days before we moved to campus, we were wrong. There's no way to make that feel right. You know, we should have dropped him back in the summer when he came to Big Dog Camp and we saw that he couldn't handle the, the, the running component of the offense. But we strung it out. We blew it. We didn't handle it right. There's been some offensive line recruiting things we didn't handle right. And I've told you as much. I, I don't agree with the decision. You know, we... we we dropped a couple of kids last year. We dropped the defensive back, you know, from from um, Lafayette uh, Tolls, and, and I think that was a mistake. He's going to Southern Miss, and I think he's going to have a good career there. I think we made a mistake there. But, you know, this Lucas Taylor thing is completely different. You know, Lucas Taylor, this is a guy, as soon as they he found out that James Craig was gone at LSU, that kind of gave him the impetus to say, you know what, I'm going to rethink this thing. He was already had one foot out the door and was talking to your Mississippi State coaching staff pretty much every day. He has a sister that's playing softball at Mississippi State. 
And so he's hearing all the time, why don't you go to state? Why don't you go to state? Why don't you go to state? Friends are saying, why don't you go to state? Why don't you go to state? And all of a sudden, LSU fires an offensive line coach, and he's thinking, you know what, maybe I should get this Mississippi State thing a serious look. Well, then they change coaches, and they bring in uh, Arkansas's coach, I guess it's Brad Davis, and then, you know, then all of a sudden now Brad's back in contact with the kid. And then according to the LSU media, you know, well, they've moved on because he had a, quote, bad camp showing. Well, then why is your defensive line, offensive line coach, why is he still calling the kid? If he was bad in camp, there's no need to continue a relationship. And so I just say all that. You take all that stuff with a grain of salt. I mean, there's just no point in, you know, kind of getting your dandruff. And it doesn't matter. I mean, there's so many people out there that are going to say whatever's necessary to defend their school. Unfortunately, it's how it works. You know, and it's like I love these people that say, oh, yeah, well, my guy's unbiased. No, your guy's not unbiased. He's not. He's convinced you that he is, and you want him to be because you want to think there's credibility in everything he says. And so oh, it's just a job to him. No, it's not just a job to him. It's a passion for all of us. I'm a Mississippi State guy. I make no bones about it. But I'm not going to just you know shoot you the you know a line of bull and hope you'll pay me nine ninety five a month for it. I'm going to tell you the truth. I think having some credibility with what you say generates more business. Not me sitting here telling you what you want to hear and then hoping you'll stick with me when you find out that I'm full of it. Right? There's a lot of that that goes on. I think it's important for people to kind of fully appreciate that. You know, there's just you. I think our guys, especially, you know, Paul and I have talked about this before too. I mean, it's like we compare notes when things get a little bit dicey. I'll call it, what do you, I mean, what are you hearing on this? You know, because we talk to different people more times than not. And I think that gives you guys, you know, a better cross-section of information. Because when we are consistently kind of saying the same things, you can better believe we're not just hearing it from one source. But we'll talk about some of these things. And I'll say, you know what, hey, maybe you should take the lead on this one. You know, because maybe you've got a little better source here. And if I hear something, I'll pass it along to you. And other times I just put things on the message board. You know, and so there's always going to be things that change. But, you know, we don't gain anything by telling you something that's not true. Because at some point, the chicken's going to come home to roost. And if we sit here and say, oh, yeah, everything's fine, everything's fine. And listen, sometimes we get bamboozled by kids. But, you know, the bottom line is is we're going we're gonna to do our best to bring it up to date with accurate information. And so it, you know, it bothers me when we get things wrong, even with the recruiting. I mean, you're dealing with you know, probably the most unpredictable creature known to man, and that's a teenager. You know, things change. There's people in their lives that change. There are people in their lives that do things for themselves. And so, you know, there's always going to be some element of a surprise before a guy makes his decision, especially at or around signing day. But I like what we're getting with these offensive line recruits. Maurice Clipper from Georgia, still in the mix. I mean, those are the things that excite me. You know, we're on, you know, probably a dozen kids for the last couple of spots on the offensive line. And you know what? No matter how you slice it, if we then we get the right two, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of appreciable difference, you know, maybe in the sixth guy and the tenth guy. But we can win with all those guys. And so I think it's important to just kind of hang in here and just kind of wait the process out. We'll have some more camps later in the summer. We'll make some decisions. And, you know, as we get into fall camp, we'll have a lot of this stuff already resolved. I think it's important to – kind of take an inventory of where we are. We're down to 11 now in uh, in recruiting. I told you guys we weren't going to stay in the top 15 or even top 10, but we'll probably be a top 20 class when it's all said and done. But the fact that we're even in that discussion, and listen, it's almost July, 
when's the last time we've been in the top 10 this late in the process? I mean, I read people to say, oh, why are we talking about this now? Well, when, when's the last time that we were in the top 10 at any point in the process? Especially in the middle of summer camps that we're recruiting at or near the top 10. So, you know, let's not... You know, let's not bring out the whole self-loathing Mississippi State fan and say, well, you know, we're going to find the black cloud in the blue sky, Steve. You know, there's a lot of that that goes on. But listen, there's no denying these guys are doing a great job. They got to finish. They're doing a great job. Listen, guys, I'm excited about baseball. I hope you guys are too. There's a lot to feel good about. And uh, there's a lot going on out there. There's a lot of talk about coaches and that sort of stuff. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, a lot of people that uh, may be on the move. And, you know, the bottom line is is that at some point there's going to be somebody that comes for our assistant coaches. I don't think it's going to be this year. Earlier this year, I thought it was going to be this year, to be honest with you. I thought we would – and listen, uh, Schlossnag on A&M, they, they took a swing at Jake Gotro, but Jake wants to be here. You know, and so, you know, that's not to say that at one point Jake's not going to leave us. But I think Jake's probably going to leave us for a head coaching job. You know, Scott Foxhall is a wonderful man. If you've ever been around him, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, I think at some point he's going to be head coach. And so at some point we're going to lose these guys. And it's not going to be because anything is wrong at Mississippi State. It's going to be because, hey, you know, listen, these guys, you know, they want to follow their own career path and have a chance to do something with their lives. And every head coach, every assistant coach dreams of being a head coach. Like we saw with Tony Hughes. He went and tried it. It didn't work out. He came back. So I say all that to say this. Let's enjoy the run we're on. Again, I don't expect any attrition this year on the staff. But we're not going to keep the band together forever. And so we got to make it, you know, as long as we can and feel good about what we have for as long as we can. I'm going to get out of here. I'm really tired. And uh, i got to get up and do radio with Bo Bounds a little bit later today. And so we'll do that, and then we'll have an update. I'll, I'll do a, I'm doing a little bit of a you know, kind of a travel diary on jeanspage.com. You should go check that out. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, let me encourage you to go to starkvillains.com. I, I, I see people wearing the Stark Villains stuff on TV all the time. It fires me up. I have people send me pictures of that. I think it's great. It's wonderful. Appreciate you guys so much for doing that. But that's going to do it for today. I'll be back on Wednesday morning talking about what happened in our game Tuesday night. So you'll get basically, you know, reaction the night after the ball game. Hopefully it won't be so late getting it done on Tuesday. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.